Have you ever had a, a four-year-old reveal the real you in a public way? <laughs> you, you know what I mean, right? So, you know, uh, uh, maybe as a dad, in a moment of uh, weakness, you, whatever, slam the hammer on your thumb, and words that come out aren't necessarily the appropriate words for a four-year-old, but a four-year-old hears them, and indeed they are repeated, much to your um, amazement in the midst of that, right? So, you, you know where I'm at this morning? The reality that sometimes... Uh, for sometimes children can reveal the real us. Maybe from your chuckles, you've experienced that. Well, there's a story um, about this family, great family, and they were um, on a very warm day, just one of those hot, blistering summery days, were preparing for guests, right? Um, and so they were putting together. Mom was working hard in the kitchen, sweating, doing the whole thing, getting everything ready for this delightful time in which they were inviting friends over for dinner. And as the friends came, the supper was laid out, and Mom, maybe in a way to uh, just uh, pump up her spiritual family, asked little Johnny, who was four years old, if he would pray for dinner. Well, in a moment of somewhat bashfulness, Johnny says, well, I don't know what to say. And so mom responds to help urge him on, encourage him a little bit. Well, Johnny, just say what I say. So he bows his head and he says, oh, Lord, why did we invite these people over on such a hot day? <laughs> Getting caught, right, trying to be someone we are not, is at the center of our text this morning. You ready for that? Ready to be called out a little bit, not a little bit, a lot of bit, by the reality of God's word, much like you might be called out by a four-year-old to reveal the real you. So turn with me. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to bring your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. As you do, let me remind you that to this point in our study of Acts, and if you're just joining us today, we've been walking through Acts 1 through 8 um, since the beginning of June in our regathering. But uh, to this point in our study of Acts, it's been easy to make much of God because the church has seemingly been so good, <laughs> right? So, so as God moves on them in miraculous ways like Pentecost and, and healing the lame man at the gate beautiful, uh, the church has responded in obedience. And, and God has then grown them exponentially from just a handful of people in a room to now over 5,000 families. It, it even gets so good to the point that we see at the tail end of our text from last week, which we didn't talk a lot about, there was this guy named Barnabas. And, and we are told about Barnabas that he is a Levite. Now, uh, I'm going to go quickly, not to try to make a study of this, but to, to look at Barnabas quickly. As a Levite, uh, in the Old Testament especially, Levites did not own what? Land, correct. They were the priests, and so everyone provided for them. Well, uh, Luke makes a point to say that Barnabas is a Levite, right? So he typically wouldn't own land. So land that he had would be special to him. <laughs> it also tells us that he is um, from Cyprus. Well, Cyprus is 
not really close to Jerusalem, right? It's out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And, and so this man obviously has come from a distance, a Levite from Cyprus. And this is the guy who has come and sowed a field. So here in that, the very thing that would be so special to him, he sold a field that he owned, and he took the money at the end of chapter 4, and he set it at the apostles' feet that they might use it to distribute to those who might be in need. That's Barnabas. I mean, that's good, right? Super. Well, then we hit a really weird chapter division, which really shouldn't be a chapter division because Luke didn't write the chapter divisions in. But we here hit a weird chapter division with a, a, a weird story that follows. But it starts with the word, but. <laughs> so here we go. Everything's good, right? And we have Barnabas as the key figure in the midst of this. And then we start chapter 5 and it goes, but. And you know there's a contrast coming. In fact, it's a story of someone who's trying to be something they are not. And God calls them out on it. Listen, read along. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down, breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Let that sink in for a second. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard of these things. Feeling uplifted yet? (laughs) May God help us in the understanding of this word. I I, I want us to uh, spend some time this morning in three places. I I want us to first look at what is the real sin here? What, What is the thing that has snuck into the church through Ananias and Sapphira? So what's the sin? We've got to spend some time making sense of this consequence. (laughs) Right? But most of all, at the end of this message, to be able to be challenged to seize the day for ourselves, to not pretend to be someone that we're not. So first, let's look at the sin. There are some that want to make this text about giving. Right? That the sin of Ananias and Sapphira is that they held money back from the proceeds of the sale of their land. I thought of some really great sermon titles that we could put on the board 
um, outside for this text, right? Um, Tithe or face the consequences. (laughs) Kind of like that one. Give to the church or die. This is my favorite. Welcome to Stewardship Sunday. Your life depends on it. (laughs) Think, Think how scary a pastor could make the altar call that day, right? We've brought the finance committee down, and they have a record of what you've given so far and what you said you were going to give, and, and uh, we're going to just kind of even the account. So come forward. We'll play just as I am. It's just I, All these weird things like, come into our minds of how we could address this text, but as fun as that sounds, it's not what the text is really saying at all. So breathe easy. The sin is not that they held some back. The sin is that they, what, lied about what they gave. Peter's question for Ananias was not, why didn't you give it all? In fact, if you read that text, he gives three statements to Ananias that underscores that, hey, the land was yours, you didn't have to give anything. The money you got from it was yours to do with whatever you like. Peter's question, though, is, and we see it twice, verse 3 and verse 4, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 4, you have not lied to man, but to God. We hear the same kind of question to Sapphira later in verse 9. How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? So, so think with me here. Why do you think that Ananias and Sapphira are lying? My suggestion would be, that they're desperately trying to be someone they are not. Imagine the scenario. Barnabas has just come in. A Levite doesn't really have a lot of land from Cyprus far away, and he has sold this field, and he lays it at their feet, and people are astounded at his generosity. People are praising God over the reality of this man who has sacrificed so much. And Ananias and Sapphira are looking on with envy, with jealousy. Hey, we're wealthy, says Ananias to Sapphira. We could probably sell some land and not even feel it. Why don't we sell that land over there that your father gave to us and and we'll give the proceeds to the church. Then we too can be like Barnabas, right? We'll, we'll, we'll get all of the accolades. People will think that we're great and, and God somehow will check some box on his eternal thing that will just make things good for us. And so they go and they sell the land. <laughs> but their hearts get in the way, right? And I says, well, that's a lot of money. You know, I'm even not sure Barnabas gave that much. So uh, as much as we said we would give it all, why don't we, why don't we just pocket some of that? We'll have a date night, really nice steaks, for, you know, the whole deal, right? So why don't we pull some of that back? But never told or bothered to tell anybody else that, indeed, we've not given the whole thing. You see that scenario? Sapphira is anticipating the applause and the approving stares of the people. Anias is in... Ananias is anticipating the approval that this move will bring. Why do they lie? Well, they want to be like Barnabas. Maybe even outgive Barnabas. But they're not Barnabas. They don't have the heart of Barnabas. 
So to have everyone think they are like Barnabas, they lie about their gift and hope to get the recognition, listen, without the sacrifice. They loved their reputation. They loved approval. And at the same time, <laughs> they loved their money. Bottom line, Ananias and Sapphira loved themselves. But to love themselves and have everyone else love them too, they felt like they had to lie. And see in the text this place of self-love that rests in their heart as it leaves plenty of space for Satan to do his work. Don't, don't leave the devil out of this, right? Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Now, is this a case of the devil made me do it? Does Ananias get to chalk it up? Oh, man, the devil got in and did it. No, no I, I really don't think so. In fact, I think it is a case of Ananias letting his guard down and Satan taking full advantage of it. We first saw that in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve, right? And we've seen it throughout the scriptures. But maybe the scariest thing this morning is that we might have seen something like this in ourselves. So let's go ahead and ask the question now. How is it, people of God, Pastor Stoffer, that you love yourself? That you leave yourself vulnerable to the influence of the devil and you find yourself, listen, trying to be someone you're not. It's a coin with two sides, I think. Uh, first, there, there's the side of the coin that we see in Ananias and Sapphira. The, the moments that we pretend to know Jesus, but our lives are really very contrary to a life of following Jesus, right? So we claim Jesus. We might even um, do things in the name of Jesus. We might, listen, go to church and beyond that, join a small group. Whew. And, and the reality is, is we look very Jesus-like, but at our very core, if you were to watch us throughout the week and in other places, that life doesn't reflect it at all. The first side of the coin is that we might pretend to know Jesus, but our lives are really very contrary to a life following Jesus. We're like the commercial that says, uh, this is an aged uh, illustration, but remember the commercials, I, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV? Right? It might be that the side of the coin here is the reality is that I, I'm, I'm not really a Christian, but I play one on Sundays. That side of the coin. There's a second side of the coin that I, I think at times reveals itself, that we have opportunity to speak for Jesus, and we pretend that we don't know Jesus, <laughs> or that we're hesitant to talk about Jesus. So my, my personal examples, I began to list them on both sides of this coin, and they were way too long. You would have been here most of the day. So I, I, I retraced it back to the most recent illustration in my life in which I fall prey to these very things. I was in a small car accident this week that left my car undrivable out on Route 79, and so I had to get a tow. Uh, Brian came is my tow driver, and we immediately became best friends. I know that's a surprise to many of you. And we had this great conversation all the way back to Sharon. So we're just uh, outside of Grove City and all the way back to Sharon, and we're 
going crazy. And we were just having the best time. I, you know, we, we were just we were best friends by the end. But it wasn't until we pulled off the interstate uh, that the conversation switched to God. And guess who brought him up? <laughs> Not your pastor. So we've been in the truck for uh, 15, 20 minutes, and uh, we've been talking about everything. Uh, you don't want to know everything we're talking about, but we were talking about everything. And, and the reality is, is that this is how God came up. Brian says, you know, I'm not a religious man. So get this, the non-religious man brings God up, right? Get this. So, so, so I'm not a religious man, but I like what the Bible says every once in a while. And then he quoted this. You know that verse that talks about if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. And if you teach him to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. And I was going, like, that's not even in the Bible. But, but I get it, right? And, and, and doing it. And, and so, but, but my, my point is this. Listen, I, I had all kinds of opportunities in our conversation. It's not as if it was just quiet all the way. We, had, we were talking about all kinds of things, and I'm going, well, I could probably say something about Jesus here, or I could mention that I'm a pastor here, and maybe that'll turn into this conversation here. All of those opportunities go on until he brings up Jesus with a misquote of the Bible. But nonetheless... Right? So here it is. I, I, I preach to myself. Because I often fall prey to loving myself more than I love my Jesus. I love my reputation. I love approval. It's the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. I guess my point is that it's my sin as well. And I'm just wondering... Maybe if there's one or two of you here, that it's your sin as well. That we try to be somebody that we're not. But what about the rest of the story? I mean, that's the sin. Let's get to the consequences of that sin, right? Our first question, our first question might be, did God really kill these two people on the spot? Please tell me, Pastor Rick, that this is some spiritual allegory of death and they really didn't die. Or maybe that the the shame of being caught caused a heart attack or something and they died of natural causes. Certainly, like, God didn't kill them on the spot. As much as I might like to say that that was true, or to change the story, to see Ananias and Sapphira confess and repent. And Pastor Matthew gives one of his great prayers of repentance and confession. And they come forward and they confess and they pray over them. And man, everything's cool. How much I would love for that to be the story. To stay faithful to this text. Ananias and Sapphira literally, in the Greek, gave up the ghost. <laughs> It was indeed God's judgment upon them. That should bother you a little bit. I'm going to invite you not to be good church people that just go, "Uh uh-huh, all the time. And and allow that to bother you a little bit. And and the reason I do is... (laughs) To let you know that that's the point. I think God wants us to be a bit bothered. Listen, this isn't the first time this has happened, right? You, you go back um, 
uh, where is it, Judges 16, or Numbers, Numbers 16, uh, when, when the family of Korah, so, so Korah leads a small rebellion against Moses. You can go back and check this later. Numbers 16, Korah leads a small rebellion against Moses and Aaron, and, and God tells everybody, step away from that family. And as they do, the, listen, you ready for this? The ground opens up and sucks that family down, and they all die. Woo. Uh, many people, as they think about Ananias and Sapphira, talk about uh, the sin of Achan in Joshua 7, uh, who indeed uh, in, in the plunder of Jericho took uh, many things for himself when he was supposed to destroy it all, and through a process of elimination, he and his family are stoned to death. Or how about Uzzah, who even seemed to be doing a good thing in 2 Samuel 6 when he reached out to study the Ark of the Covenant when it stumbled, but because he touched it, he immediately died. You go, Pastor Rick, this isn't helping. <laughs> and I'll say again, I think that's the point. I mean, uh, we often in the church want to think God is the great white bearded one in the sky, right? That makes everything good, that makes everything right, that fixes it all. But these, these illustrations of justice, that rattles me. And God says, good, let my justice rattle you. Because quite honestly, we can't understand that God is a gracious God until we recognize that God is a just God. Hear that? 50 weeks out of 52, I'm going to preach on grace, right? <laughs> That's not one of these weeks. But we can't understand the fullness of grace until we understand the depth of his justice, how much he hates our sin and the consequences of it being death. We can't fully understand the fullness of the forgiveness of the cross until we understand that our sin deserves death, that we deserve death. Jonathan Edwards was a guy who loved to preach about grace, but he had a sermon or two, one especially called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which talked a little bit about God's justice. I won't preach the whole sermon, I'll give you this portion of it. The bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready on the string, and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow, and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God, that of an angry God, without any promise or obligation at all, that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. It's been told that hundreds of people came to know Jesus as a result of this sermon. Because people were enlightened by God's spirit to his justice. And therefore, as grace, as forgiveness, and as Jesus is presented, we understand what it is that we've been forgiven for. It's not easy to hear the death of Ananias and Sapphira is not easy to take. But I think that's the point, that, that we be rattled into an understanding of the purity of God and what an offense our hypocrisy and self-love is to him. 
Good news, we don't often die as soon as we do it. I lived through Thursday, <laughs> right? And you've lived through your hypocrisy as well. But we need to understand the depth of sin and therefore the grace of God that does not release the arrow upon our lives. It is a compelling motivation. It's meant to be a compelling motivation to seize the day. Though we cannot change the story of Acts 5, we can allow the story of Acts 5 to change us. That's why the last point this morning is to hear the motivation as a motivation to seize the day. Notice that in verses 5 and 11, that great megos, we, we talked about megos last week, here it comes again, that, that megos fear came upon all who saw and heard of these events. <laughs> Can you imagine? I, I used to have a sign that hung in my office that said, if the consequences of sin were immediate, we would sin much less. The church understood that the day Ananias and Sapphira died. And think about, with me, who wrote the book of Acts? So let, let, me, let me ask you, we usually do this at the front end, but the reality is, who, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke did. And whom did Luke write the book of Acts to? To Theophilus, who indeed was entrusted to share this story with what kind of people? The Gentiles, right? And think about these Gentiles. They've lived without the law. They've come to know Jesus. And their struggle at this point is leaving all of the things that they have done for decades now to follow Jesus in a significant way of obedience. So why this story? I mean, wouldn't it have been nice if Luke just kind of left this one out? This guy's kind of hard on God. Luke, don't, don't. No, 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 listen. The reality of him bringing it is because he's writing to Gentiles who are doing it, who are living in their past while they say they believe in Jesus, that they are living in such a way that they are somebody that they are not. That's why Luke includes it, and I think with great fear that the Gentiles read it. Uh, Luke is waving a yellow flag, a warning flag to Gentile believers who are imitating my favorite character from Lost in Space, right? Remember? Warning, Will Robinson. Warning, Will Robinson. This is what Luke is doing. Gentiles, pay attention. God is just to your sin. He may not kill you, but there is a part of you that dies when you live in hypocrisy. And the devil loves to take hold of that and make much of it so that you will not make much of Jesus. This is the point to the Gentiles that Luke wrote to who lived for decades in reckless living but now have turned their hearts to Christ. You cannot pretend to be someone you are not. And it's the point for us this morning. People of God, may we seize the day and quit pretending 
May we today, this morning, hear how God hates hypocrisy and run to Him for forgiveness and the power to live in obedience to His Word. That we might cease to give the devil a foothold in our lives and that we might make much of Jesus. Bottom line, that we might strive, listen, to be who God made us to be, children of the living God. Let me ask you, What is the church's number one accusation of people in the church? Hypocrisy. (laughs) Right? I mean, you go ask somebody this week, you know, like, why don't you like people? Ah, they're all hypocrites. And I, I used to respond to that in a way that said, yeah, why don't you come join the party? We're all screwed up. You're screwed up. Let's all be screwed up together, right? That used to be my response. It's a relatively true response. But maybe deeper this morning? May it be like a four-year-old calling us out on maybe who we really are. Maybe the world sees something we've tried very hard to hide. And it's time we saw it. Because God, God is just. God hates our hypocrisy. And he desires, by the blood of his son, to redeem us and reform us in such a way that we might make much of Jesus. That maybe instead of wanting to change Acts 5 this morning, we allow Acts 5 to change us. Let me just ask you, what does God have your attention about this morning? What is the thing that you are pretending to be that you are not? but you know you should be. What's the area of your life? What's the sin in your life? I think you're here. I think you're watching today. I think Luke 5, 1 through 11 is in the Bible for such a time as this. May we seize it and repent of our hypocrisy and run to Jesus. Confess it, just between you and God. And let's seize the day, church, to be who God has made us to be, that together we might make much of Jesus. Let's pray. And as we pray, may we just take a moment and allow you to be honest with your God about that thing that the Spirit of God has brought to your awareness even this day. That we might confess it, ask God for his forgiveness, and even more, ask God for his power. That we might not give the devil a foothold, but that we indeed would make much of Jesus.
Father God, that you would hear our hearts. That you would hear our confession. Maybe some of us have thought for a long time that what we have done in private is private without having any impact at all on our life for you. But that's a lie. That's the devil filling our hearts. So even the private things today, God, as well as the public things, in your love, would you, by your Spirit, call them out that we might be a people that confess, repent, and run after you for all that you desire to do in us and through us. May we cease to laugh at hypocrisy. May we cease to walk by our hypocrisy. And may we today seize this day to give our all as we ask you to help us in giving all of our lives to you. Because, God, our lives, which have been saved by you, are indeed all about you. May that be prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.